News Nation This Hour, I'm Don Kleppen. OPEC and other oil-producing countries met online to decide production levels for the month ahead. They decided to add 400,000 barrels of oil per day in February. They've essentially restored cutbacks they made at the beginning of the pandemic in hopes that travel and demand for fuel will hold up despite the spread of the Omicron variant. NATO will hold a virtual meeting Friday to discuss the tensions between Russia and Ukraine. The meeting will kick off a week of diplomacy about Russia's military buildup on Ukraine's border. The foreign ministers of the 30 member nations will take part. They'll try to ease tensions between both countries. The virtual meeting comes ahead of top-level discussions between Russia and American officials in Geneva next week. President Biden has warned Russian President Vladimir Putin the U.S. could impose new sanctions if Russia takes military action against Ukraine. Lawmakers in the Senate have kicked off their new session. Democrats are struggling still to get unanimous support among their own party as Republicans fight to get the majority during midterm elections. Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says the Senate will vote on filibuster rule changes unless Republicans stop blocking stalled voting rights legislation. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Everything that we do is affected by how elections are the sanctity of the vote is respected. Senate Democrats vow to vote on President Biden's $1.7 trillion social spending and climate bill that also does not yet have unanimous support among their party. And a former refugee is now the first Cambodian-American to become mayor in the United States. Sokari Chow was selected to be mayor of Lowell, Massachusetts. Chow's family escaped from Cambodia's civil war. Prior to running for office, he worked in financial services and ran a mortgage lending company before the housing market crashed. Lowell City Council unanimously selected him to be the first Asian-American mayor. The city is nearly 25% Asian and home to the nation's second-largest Cambodian community. Find News Nation on your cable or satellite provider and stay up to date around the clock at NewsNationNow.com and on the News Nation Now app. I'm Don Kleppen. From Feature Story News in Washington, I'm Simon Marks. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson says record numbers of COVID-19 cases represent the fastest growth of the virus the country has yet seen. There were 218,000 new cases in the last 24 hours in Britain and he said it would be profoundly wrong to believe the pandemic is over. He urged people to take what he called the utmost caution over the next few weeks but insisted there is no need to tighten restrictions in England. We have a chance to ride out this Omicron wave without shutting down once again. We can keep our schools and our businesses open and we can find a way to live with this virus. But the weeks ahead are going to be challenging. And in that regard, the Prime Minister announced daily testing will be introduced for tens of thousands of workers in key sectors of the economy after warnings that the National Health Service is facing crisis due to COVID infections among its staff. The US recorded more than a million new COVID cases in a single day on Monday. That's a global 24-hour record. President Biden is meeting members of his COVID-19 response team with the latest data showing more than 103,000 people are in hospitals in the U.S. needing treatment for COVID. More than 6,000 of them are in Illinois, where J.B. Pritzker is the state's governor. It is frustrating and tragic that two years into the pandemic, with multiple widely available and free life-saving vaccines, that we are once again in this horrible position. Some New York City subway services have been suspended because of COVID-related staff shortages. With that story from FSN's bureau in the Big Apple, Sarah Walton reports. The Metropolitan Transportation Authority says hundreds of staff are sick with COVID-19, so five lines have been suspended, partially suspended, or have had express services cancelled. 
New York City Transit Interim President Craig Cipriano says the MTA is experiencing similar COVID-related crew shortages that many other industries are facing. The situation is being reviewed daily and more changes to services could be introduced this week. Sarah Walton, New York. Anger is growing after thousands of motorists were stranded overnight on icy sections of a major highway in Virginia, just outside Washington. The governor of the state is being widely criticised for offering no meaningful assistance until dawn, after motorists turned to social media to claim they'd been abandoned. Justin Beale is one driver who spent hours stuck in his car in freezing temperatures. You're seeing older folks in cars, there's abandoned cars, there's young people, there's animals, so we're hoping there's some kind of emergency management plan from either Governor Northam or the federal government here on the interstate. One other headline today, a judge in New York seemed unmoved this morning by Prince Andrew's efforts to seek the dismissal of the civil lawsuit against him, but the ruling has not yet been published. From bureaus worldwide, this is FSN. With FSN Spotlight, I'm Simon Marks. Preparations are underway in Geneva, where US and Russian officials will meet next week for security talks over Ukraine. The meeting comes after a weekend phone call between President Biden and President Putin. The Russians claim they warned Washington of a substantial rupture in bilateral relations if the US imposes fresh sanctions on Moscow. But President Biden wants Russian forces to withdraw from the Ukrainian border and de-escalate the tensions. There. Mark Galliotti is a London-based lecturer on Russian security affairs. I think a full-scale invasion is still not so likely. Um, we'll have to see what happens when the Americans and the Russians sit down on the 10th of January. But the point is, yes, I mean, this is absolutely a, a force that is capable of moving into Ukraine and launching a, a devastating attack. The thing is, though, this would not be Putin's plan A. Um, the West, the United States are clearly going to try and play for time, and the Russians know that. But also, the Russians are also aware that it, there would be a, a devastating cost if they did move in. Moscow insists that the US promises never to offer Ukraine membership of NATO. Washington says the talks will be guided by the principle of nothing about you without you, meaning the US won't allow the Kremlin to drive a wedge between the White House and the government in Kiev. The main news again, British Prime Minister Boris Johnson says record numbers of COVID-19 cases represent the fastest growth of the virus the country has yet seen. President Biden is meeting his pandemic advisers. As data shows, more than 103,000 people are in hospital in America seeking treatment for COVID-19. And anger is growing after thousands of motorists were stranded overnight on icy sections of a major highway just outside Washington. And that is the latest Feature Story News. Simon Marks reporting. Let's be vigilant. The CDC has issued some new guidelines to safely return students to school. There is a lot of people who think that the first week back all students should be wearing masks. While the majority of the schools were optional, it may be that the schools will revert back to making masks mandatory. Be on the lookout for whether or not your school district or which schools will be requiring students to wear masks. Let's be vigilant by doing our part to keep ourselves and others safe. 
Take care and have a wonderful day. Hello, I hope everyone is having a great day on this sunny afternoon. Here are some events happening in the month of January. The first one will take place at the Tolson Center, located at 1320 Benham Avenue here in downtown Elkhart. They will be having open gym pickleball nights starting on January 5th and running through February 23rd. And that will be every Wednesday from 6 to 8 p.m. On January 22nd, there will be a frozen skate happening at Nipco Water and Ice Park. The cost for that event will be $10, where you will be able to meet and greet and get pictures taken with some frozen characters. You can purchase pre-sale tickets at elkartsparks.ticketleap.com slash frozen. Also happening on January 22nd at the Freshman Division, located at 1 Blazer Boulevard here in Elkhart, Indiana, will be having a Meiji's main event. There will be activities for adults and kids starting at 12 and running to 3 p.m. Also happening on January 22nd, there will be a Winterfest in downtown Coldwater, Michigan, Starting at 1 and running to 4 p.m. The address for that event is 1 West Chicago Avenue, Coldwater, Michigan. Hope everyone is finding ways to stay warm, stay safe, and have a wonderful week. Hey, we're here at Paul's Restaurant, Fort Wayne, Indiana, and we got another veteran of racing in Fort Wayne, Joe Tucker. And kind of my memories going back um, in the 70s, I remember seeing you racing some in the villa. I think even earlier than that, you raced some, but more so late 70s. And, uh, you know, you, the Pro Track tire that kind of helped out with the stock cars, the late models back then. I remember then he dabbed in a modified for a little bit later on, but uh, tell us about kind of the early years. I remember, like, say, you raced uh, some ASA Limited Sportsman. Yeah. So you traveled around a little bit there and stuff, yeah. and then Bearfield and the villa. Oh, uh, that was later on when I had the late model. We run some ASA Sportsman. Steve made a drink, mm -hmm. and uh, it was from 2009, it was 2009. Uh, going back to a villa days, I guess, or before that, when I originally started racing with 69 at Eldora, was the first place I ever raced at. I was helping a guy down in Portland, Indiana, is where I grew up, and he was racing over there every week and gave me a car to run, and uh, so that's the first track I ran. Wow, fast, fast joint there. Yeah. yeah, so anyhow, we went Winchester with banking, or Winchester with dirt. Right, yeah, <laughs> well, I was scared the hell out of me. I know that was the first place I ever raced. But anyhow, then I went to service, and then, God, I started racing at a villa probably 73 or 74. Uh, and that was with the slicks too. Yeah, yeah. I had a hobby stock up there that I bought from Chuck Roy, and he ran it for a year. And then, and then I had a late model built. Mark Trelawski drove it a little bit, and he broke his foot jumping mm -hmm. off the hauler after the race and landed on the jack. So I started driving from there. Yeah, I was with the, that was the slicks. And then they went to the pro track. 
went to the pro track. And that saved the class. Yeah. I mean, those tires just they just made the field so wide in time. That pro track, it was an equalizer. Mm -hmm. Hard, yeah. hard treaded tire. Yeah, and it was kind of cool with the sportsman because then you had Fort Wayne, South Bend, Louisville, Kalamazoo, Anderson, and uh, Rockford all on the same rules for your sportsman class. So then those guys could travel around and be the same pull yeah. in and be legal. Right. Also ASA limited late models, mm -hmm. uh, which was a pretty big class. Ran the pro tracks also. So uh, I ran with them in South Bend a little bit. I ran South Bend on Friday nights in 70... Oh man, I'm thinking 76, 77, when Bearfield was closed for yeah. a couple years. Yep. So I mean, we ran there and then uh, and I ended up probably at Angola. Uh, 78 probably. I started running Angola quite a bit. And uh, that's pretty much. Uh, that was Protax and Starwood, and then we graduated up to run the slick car again. Now, you had a big Chevelle too, didn't you? Put the woman to late models? Yeah, that is Chevelle. I remember the Camaro, because I remember well, I was at Fort Wayne. Actually, your profile picture is the one I took of you back in 82, yeah, something like that. Mm, that would have been a super late model. Yeah. That was the Red 72, the bigger numbers, and I think the Realty was on the car, Realty Service. A realty sponsorship was yeah, on the car. Yeah, Keys Van Cleave Realty. Yeah, they were with me for a few years. But that car there was after I sold. First Camaro I had was Ray Dillon's old car. Ray Dillon's personal car. When he quit racing, I bought his. Yeah, trip through the Winchester car. Wall did him in there. And then he got Mark Martin and then yeah, the rest was history. Yeah, right. But that was Ray's car and it was still a pretty good car. I had pretty good luck with it. And then we moved on up and bought a Mark Martin Mark III chassis from Dylan. That's probably the one that you had the picture of there. That was. Uh, Dylan sold a lot of cars when Martin started winning. Yeah. And I don't know if they could have really kept up. They had a small shop and nothing spectacular, but boy, they were getting orders in. <laughs> yeah, they sold a lot of cars. They sold a lot of cars everywhere, all over the country. They were all running Dylan cars. Pretty hot item at that time. But uh, then I uh, took a few years off and then uh, I started running the modified, I guess. 93, I started running the modified. Yeah, I remember seeing you at Fort Wayne in mm -hmm. Purple 72. Yeah. And that was a cool time with that. You had Bice. Steve Minnick Sr., yeah. Johnny Gatton, right. um, my God, Roger Trelawski was in there, Mel Klein, you were in that mix. It was just a, my yeah. God, 26, 28 cars oh, yeah. there weekly, yeah, every and week. they would start, Tommy would want to start most of, not all of them, in a feature race a lot. He was on a B main, but then he was like, oh, we're going to put them all in a A main, and yeah. you know, 28 car field on a half mile, right. that was a hell of a show right there. Yeah, that's and, back when the claim days, when they had claim on yeah. the yeah. Yeah. Those poor Lansing guys, if they ever came to Angola and they would do good, they would get their motors claimed almost every time. Those Min Mingus and oh, the, the um, Gifford and those guys were like, we don't even want to come down Angola where they buy our motors every time. Mm -hmm. This was like a $300 claim or... Yeah, I think it was three fifty at the time. Something cheap, but then they had to shut the motor off, take it back, take it all apart, couldn't right. start it up. Oh my God. Yeah, uh, we kind of had a 
Yeah. Gentlemen's agreement around here, we didn't buy each other's motors, but uh, I did have a couple of them playing. But, uh, Could I take the money up for the large okay. thing? Of course. It, it's a good racing time. That was a good time for racing. Yeah, it was. Uh, if you don't, uh, it was still technology, but everybody could afford it a lot better. Yeah, it was, it was, it was affordable for everyone. It was, it was cheap racing for everybody. Uh, competition was still pretty good. Like you said, it still had a lot of drivers back. Yeah, good ones. Just had a lot of good ones. All right, uh, thank you. Folks have a great night. You too. Yeah, it wasn't uncommon for them to have 40 cars and go and wear the field. Yeah, that I-69 was the, the place for the modifies between Anderson, Lansing, even Battle Creek had some off there. You know, then Angola had them, Fort Wayne had them, and it was just, and it's still to today. That's your, that's your core of modifies is that I-69 corridor. Yeah, modifies are pretty common around here. Now, your racing days are over with, of course. Do you still get out to the tracks at all? Or? Yeah, I still go some. I went this year quite a bit. I didn't go last year because of COVID. I didn't get around to go anywhere too much. But this year I went several times. I went uh, used to go with Steve Manny from his dad. And then he called it, you know. Yeah, they sold their car a couple months ago. That'd be another good interview there with him talking all the days and stuff yeah. and that. And, yeah. You know, him getting involved in racing after his dad and stuff. And mm -hmm. that was always a that was always a classy team there. Yeah. Sharp looking car. Always like that black thirty seven. Always looked quick. Yeah, they had nice season sitting still. still. Yeah, they had nice looking stuff. Uh, he's looking for, still looking for a late model ride or something. He's looking, he's still wanting to drive. He's just he's not wanting to race full time. Yeah, it is a commitment now, and it's even look yeah. at the trailers, still open trailers, you know, two axles with a tire rack, and then now it's double stackers. Yeah, and, you know, right. totally mm -hmm. like. <laughs> yeah, well, he drove my uh, drove my late model that I'm going back to the. Uh, the CRA Limited, or the CRA Sportsman class, mm -hmm. we drove that car that I had. Uh, we ran it for five or six years. I think you won 17 features. It was a pretty good car. We were actually leading on CRA points in 09. We got wrecked at Winchester Labor Day weekend, so we didn't, wasn't able to finish out that year. But following year in 2010 we that was the wreck where broody flipped in turn one i don't remember it was a sportsman wreck and it was a few years it was years ago and they had one car flipped about this six cars were involved and i think they had like four cars left after that wreck. yeah it tore a bunch of them up. This, you know the front two cars got together and wrecked i think the leaders wrecked and uh chain reaction there they took everybody out on the front stretch there yeah that's a rough track, and you yeah. can just get on the trailer. That's a win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we didn't get on the trailer in one piece that day. But, but anyhow, the following year we rebuilt it, and uh, we're over the winter, and which would have been 2010. We won the track championship out here up in Bearfield. We ran 12 times out here. We had a bunch of rain outs. We ended up running 12 times, won eight of them. Three seconds and one third. So the car never finished out of the top three that year. Plus, we won the CRA Sportsman Race at Angola that year, uh, the 75 laps. So 2010 was a good year for us. Yeah, the Sportsman was always a good class here. Some tracks it's like the tweener class, and it's either like, say, Sopin's got the super lates mm -hmm. and a strong street stock class. Sportsmen's are a little on the thin side, but up here, this is kind of like the premier class, not that wedge body. 
Every track, every area has its own little pocket of what, what will work and what won't work. Yeah, the seem like South Bend and Plymouth. Uh, Montville, you know, uh, that area up in there. Yeah, like the wedge body. And yeah. probably because of Nyrene Sands yeah. back in the day. The way that was set up with those bodies. It's like people just, you know, yeah. they went to the sportsman yeah, and they don't look, they don't look like it. And then, uh, yeah, the wedge bodies and stuff. And then down here is more the, the sportsman type. And I think the Trek kind of dictated that a little bit too because it was tough to pull super lights on a big half. Because mm. the motors were like grenades. And then the event domination probably didn't help to a point as well, where guys are like, well, I'd be running for second or third. <laughs> yeah, that was probably going back in the days, you know, with Larry Zinn with, with the outlaw cars running. They ran down here back in, back in the day. Because he meant business. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he still yeah they, you know, the money deal kind of run those cars off, you know, like it seems to. Quite often nowadays, you know. Tarkin gets low, then the promoter cuts the purse, and then guys yeah. are like, well, I don't, I don't want to come here for 400, I thought it was 700. Well, there's only nine cars. Mm -hmm. Now you're penalizing, well, what do you do? As a promoter, right. then the fans see it. Yeah. They start not showing up. Yeah, it's just tough anymore. Uh, everywhere. Just, just, I don't know if the economy's all that bad or not. It's just that uh, race is pretty expensive. It always has been. It's never been yeah, a cheap deal. But, uh, you know, it turns and goes. That's uh, pretty good around here now, for the most part. Uh, Stu Ben seems to be pretty good this year. And, uh, I just hope the gas prices are going to kill oh, yeah, some of the travel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because all these haulers are 10 oh. miles per gallon and 10 miles per gallon, and gas gauges are Right. So hopefully it gets better before summer for the guys. But yeah, I pretty much uh, just hang around watching anymore. I don't you know, uh, don't have a car or anything like that anymore, but uh, I sure enjoyed it when I did. It's more fun than grow, uh, of course. You know, uh, Less headaches, so. Yeah, I don't know, being an owner there's a lot of headaches, being a car owner. Now there's no headaches at all, because I don't have a car. But, yeah. Uh, Do you know, swatch other cars where I can go, I'm glad it's not mine. <laughs> right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, uh, number 72, what was that even here, number 72? Well, going back to uh, a villa days early, I don't know, I mentioned I bought a, Chuck, uh, bought a car from Chuck. The rest of the story. Not many teachers lasted a full year when Retty was school age. In that one-room schoolhouse on a hillside outside Paintsville, one of the big kids would beat up the new teacher so they'd get a new teacher. And what with that rapid rotation, not a whole lot of book learning went on. It's not as though Retty learned nothing. She learned that if she'd come to school early enough to sweep the floor and erase the blackboard and build a fire in the pot-bellied stove in the middle of the classroom, she'd be paid a dollar a month. And that helped in a household where there were eight youngsters and where Daddy worked only sometimes. But I'm by way of explaining that Reddy never really graduated, even from grade school. She stayed on to help get the new teachers started and to collect that dollar a month, but she didn't really learn anything. I mean, she didn't even learn to read or write. And when Reddy married at the age of 13, she was what we now call illiterate. She had four babies by the time she was 17 and still could neither read nor write. The lullabies she would sing to her babies were songs that she made up from what few words that she did know. 
Most hill folks thereabout grew up the same way. Few knew who the president was or cared. Midst rocks and scrub pine and raggedy oak, the houses of hill folk were up on stilts either front or back. Any level spot had to be safe for garden. And here was this baby with babies, picking strawberries, changing diapers, fixing bottles, back to picking, never learning to read or write. And then one day she was 17, and she was sitting in their hillside cabin with her mother's Bible in her lap and aching inside because she could not read the words. And out loud she said, God, help me to understand what it says. And starting that day, little by little, she did. She began to read and understand words and then to write them. And, and one day, Retty was not illiterate anymore. It has not come easy. Wherever she is at this moment, there is a dictionary beside her. She is still learning. But this is the rest of the story. One day when she was 21 and all of the young'uns were in school, her husband, Dew, said, Ready, honey? Said, I was hearing some singing on the radio. And you know you used to sing that pretty when you was rocking the babies. Why don't you sing anymore? Six years from that day, Reddy's singing had embraced the world of country music. That day, and for more than 20 years since, she has never been off the charts of bestsellers, never, ever. Fifty albums. She owns five companies that produce the music she writes and sings. She has won every honor that country music can bestow, and yet, still running scared from the poverty of that hillside cabin in Butcher Holler, Kentucky. This first lady of country music still travels by bus to 200 singing engagements every year, reading along the way, everything, anything, ancient history currently, with a thumb-worn dictionary at her side. The little girl who became a mother four times over and was still unable either to read or to write, was the coal miner's daughter, Loretta Lynn. And now you know the rest of the story. Thanks for watching. Check out some of our other videos and don't forget to like the video and subscribe. Just click the logo on the left. Mm -hmm.